Welcome to Antioch. We are a multi-generational, justice-minded church in beautiful Bend, Oregon, seeking and celebrating the reconciliation of all things. May the Word of God turn your heart toward Christ and the world He loves. As we move from gathering to listening, our scripture reading today is from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 35 to 46. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Marcia. Oh, I'm supposed to say, good morning, church. Thanks, Marcia, right? It's Pete's line. Um, before I start, though, you may have noticed that we are missing our prayer of the people this morning, and that is due to illness. Uh, so I didn't want a Sunday to go by without bringing our family's prayer requests before God as a community. So I've written just a short prayer to lead us. Will you join me? Father, Son, and Spirit, we gather together as one, laying our petitions at your feet. Where there's illness, bring healing. Where there is confusion, bring clarity. Where there is conflict, bring peace. Where there is loneliness, bring community. Almighty God, turn us as one to you. Draw us into a life of utter dependence on you that all might resound for your glory. Amen. Thanks, family. Okay, so now I can start. Good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you here. My name is Amy, and I'm one of the pastors on the team. One of my roles at Antioch is to strengthen our relationships with various ministry partners and keep you all connected and aware of opportunities to give and to serve. So before we get to my sermon, I want to tell you about a new partnership. 
Um, most of our partners are local, uh, but we do invest and support in a few organizations working beyond Central Oregon, even out beyond our country. One of these is a group called Arasha. Arasha, if you don't know, is a faith-based conservation organization operating in about 25 countries all over the world. For a few years, we were supporting the original Arasha site, which was in Portugal. Some of us traveled there in 2022. Anybody here who got to go on that trip? No, they're all, oh, one, yay! Uh, it was fantastic, but due to staffing changes and the slight problem that Portugal is really far away, <laughs> uh, I've been looking for a site closer to home for us to connect with. So I visited a thriving Arasha farm up in Vancouver, BC, and I have been researching their projects in Southern California and Texas and Florida, but nothing has felt like the right fit for us until Rick Gerhardt connected me with a community in Costa Rica in the early stages of becoming an official Arasha site. So this community at Casa Adobe, just outside of San Jose, Costa Rica, is a diverse group of Jesus followers who live in a city with a river running through it in the shadow of volcanic mountains. Sound familiar? They are in the midst of restoring native plants and creating pathways to help folks enjoy and appreciate the river while also protecting it. Sound familiar? Casa Adobe is run by Ruth and Jim Padilla DeBorst, who we had the joy of hosting in the fall. And since then, we've been in close communication, dreaming of ways to build a partnership between the Casa Adobe community and the Antioch community here. So last week, Rick Gerhardt and I made a quick trip down to Costa Rica to see things for ourselves and to experience the places, the activities, and people so that we can prepare learning and serving trips for all of you. I have some photos to share. This is me and Rick planting itty bitty tiny tree seeds that will eventually become trees that will then be planted in areas in need of restoration. Here is me and a really big leaf. <laughs> Here is a cat, aww. <laughs> and here is me planting one of the trees that they grew from seed at Casa Adobe. I got to put it in the ground near what used to be a landfill, and I even got to put a little sign on it that says Antioch Church, Bend, Oregon. Uh, the ministry at Casa Adobe is growing, and just last month, they took ownership of a second site upstream from the very same river that runs through their city. This is Casa Nube, up in the cloud forest, and this will probably be the site of some of the first projects visiting groups will get to help with as they work to plant gardens and return manicured landscapes to a more natural state. Uh, here's a group photo of us on a hike with some of the community at Casanube. You can see Rick and I there. Rick does not have binoculars up to his eyes. That is very unusual. <laughs> uh, after our stop up in the cloud forest, we then followed the river all the way to its mouth at the Pacific Ocean. We took a boat ride there, and we saw birds, shocking, crocodiles, <gasps> and a cat. Aww. <laughs> Which makes me wonder, why is bird watching a thing but cat watching is not? Anybody gonna start a cat watching group with me? <gasps> Kathy, thank you. 
Anyways, over just three days, we saw a beautiful picture of how the river and the birds and the animals live and move from up in the mountains into the valley and down to the ocean. The connectedness of it all and the similarities to our geography here in Central Oregon were so inspiring. But most impactful to me was the spirit-filled community among the folks who live and work in the neighborhood of Casa Adobe. I am super excited about this partnership, and if it sounds like something you'd like to be involved with, stay tuned, because opportunities to travel and experience things for yourself are coming soon. That's it for my commercial. On to our passage today. We are in the Gospel of John, written by John, who was one of the 12. John is known for being a disciple, for writing this gospel, some letters, the book of Revelation, and also for referring to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. In fact, it's kind of his signature to refer to himself indirectly. You'll see it throughout this gospel. So when the author, John, is talking about a John in the story, he's not referring to himself, but to John the Baptist. Got it? The other thing that is really important to hold on to as you move through this gospel is John's stated intent. He spells this out for us towards the end of his gospel. He writes, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. These words of John's are a restatement of Jesus's words that he listed in chapter 10, where Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. These verses are especially meaningful to me because my dad, who passed away in 2016, wrote these to each of his grandkids. He made a cute little frame for them and wrote Jesus's words from John chapter 10 and then added grandpa's words. Therefore, choose life only, always, and whatever the risk. As my dad was entering his last years, the things he wanted his grandkids to know most of all was that Jesus came that they might have life. My dad was inviting his grandkids to come and see what Jesus offered. So in this passage, we see how Jesus is first introduced in John's gospel. The scene opens outside with John the Baptist hanging out with two of his disciples. John had been teaching and prophesying that the one they were all waiting for, the Messiah, was coming soon. And when John sees Jesus passing by, he refers to him as the Lamb of God, a title the two would have surely been familiar with. They would have known the passage in Isaiah where the coming Messiah was described as like a lamb led to the slaughter. John was basically telling him, that's him. That's the one I've been talking about. Then in verse 38, we have the first red letters in John. And I think Jesus' first words in this account tell us something about who he is and what he's like. Isn't it interesting that when the long-awaited Messiah shows up, the first thing he does is ask a couple of guys a question? What does that reveal to us about his character? By turning and asking a question, Jesus is making the first move. He's opening the door to the conversation these two are dying to have. 
Can't you just see these two following behind Jesus, elbowing each other? You ask him. No, you ask him. Just trying to figure out the best way to approach the Messiah. This is the same story for all of us. Jesus meets us where we are. He knows our needs and our questions and is ready, facing us, compassionate and attentive to our prayers. We don't have to come up with the best opening line to get his attention. So the fact that Jesus asks a question is a big deal, but we can learn even more from the specific question he asks. He asks them, what do you want? Not exactly a light, easy to answer question, is it? In John's gospel, this is the beginning of Jesus's public ministry. And he starts by asking a couple of people following him what they want. This tells us a lot about what Jesus cares about. Clearly, the two know that having this kind of conversation was not about making small talk while passing by. This would take time. Is this really what Jesus is offering them? They respond by asking, where are you staying? Seems like a sort of test, asking, are you really serious? Will you talk about weighty things like this with us? Will you help us wrestle with our doubts and our questions? In my mind, Jesus smiles here and says essentially yes to these unasked questions. He tells them to come along, come, and you will see. He doesn't give them his address or a time to meet him there. He just invites them to come along, to walk with him, to accompany him on a journey. So they went, and they spent the day with him. John, the author, notes that it was four in the afternoon, which seems like an odd detail to add. But I think this conversation was so monumental in the author's life that he probably could tell you not only the exact time, but every detail about that day. In verse 40, we learn who these two former followers of John the Baptist were. Andrew and our indirectly referenced John, who calls himself one of the two. There are a lot of characters in this first chapter. The author is introducing us to everyone. It might seem confusing at first, but these are main characters, and you'll get to know them as you continue reading the story. So Andrew and John encounter Jesus after he's been baptized. And when he was baptized, we know that the Holy Spirit descended on him and came to rest on him. It stayed with him. So the time these two spent with Jesus was time spent with a human like they had never encountered before. We can only imagine how unique this interaction was for Andrew, for John, for everyone who encountered Jesus in these days. He wasn't just a kind, compassionate human or a really gifted speaker. He was infused with the Holy Spirit of God, which certainly shaped everything he did and said. So after spending the day with Jesus, the first thing Andrew does is find his brother and bring him to Jesus, letting him know that he has found the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for. And the next day, Philip is added to the crew, and his response to time spent with Jesus, it's the same. Philip immediately finds someone to tell to bring to Jesus, answering Nathaniel's doubt with the invitation to just come and see. As Jesus invites his followers to come and see, we see them one by one, turning and inviting others to come along and see for themselves, to join this growing community. They have found something so beautiful and so exciting that they can't help but share it. And just describing it isn't enough. 
The pattern of experiencing Jesus and then inviting others to come and see will be repeated over and over in the Gospels. It's a pattern of that a pattern that followers of Jesus still live out today. But before we can zero in on all the come and see stuff in this chapter, we need to look at the two questions that come before it. So I want to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at those questions and wrapping up with the compelling call to come and see. The first question Jesus asks, what do you want? When we do respond to a call to come and see, we probably first ask ourselves that same framing question. What do I want? If someone is asking us to come and see something, we pause and we ask ourselves if we want to see whatever they are excited about. Like, I can show you all the photos and talk on and on about how fantastic Casa Adobe, Casa Nube, and the Costa Rican Pacific are, but if you don't want to travel, you probably aren't going to heed my call to come and see. There's a cost. Airplane seats are uncomfortable. The flights were long. The food, the language, the weather, the bugs. For some of us, the cost outweighs the benefits that may come from travel, and that's okay. I promise we can still be friends. If, however, a child asks us to come and see their recital or their art show or their play or a game, when we ask ourselves what do we want in this case, we will likely answer with something along the lines of we want to show love and support to a loved one. There's still a cost, time, maybe an uncomfortable chair, but the gift of love and support far outweigh the cost. Some come and see moments are universal. To zoom out to the scale of our passage, we all wrestle with the question, what do I want? Our culture screams at us. We want the latest whatever it is. We want the next Apple product, whatever it is, we want it. We want comfort, we want security, we want family, relationships, friends. And yet we've all either experienced firsthand or read stories of folks who have, who have all that in spades and the wanting doesn't go away. I can't count the number of times I've read about someone with great wealth, a family, a beautiful home, and yet they choose to end their life. Fulfilling these wants never completely satisfies us, does it? In our story today, Jesus is inviting us to examine these wants. There's a cost to following Jesus. Do you want what he has to offer? Are you willing to let go of what our culture tells you to strive for? Are you willing to be changed? The question was so important that, as we know, it's the first thing Jesus asked the two. They need to think about this before they can engage in conversation with Jesus. His question implies that having wants and desires is a normal thing. We don't have to empty ourselves of these longings, but we do learn about ourselves by being honest about what we want. It's like he was saying, let's bring all that to the surface, don't hold anything back, and then we'll move forward. The more time they spent with Jesus, the more they would question what they thought they wanted and what Jesus was offering. His teachings were hard to understand and his followers had lots of questions. And it was risky. Entering into a world where Jesus is leading them and us will change us. Remember though that the promise is life. Do you believe this? I'm sure the two in our story this morning had some ideas about what they wanted, like relief from the rule of Rome was likely at the top. Jesus asking them that question was an open door to bring their wants to him. When we come and see what Jesus is offering us, we can be honest about our wants and desires. 
but be ready to watch your wants and desires shift and change as you spend more time learning from Jesus. For many of us here this morning, we had what we thought we wanted, but it was taken away or lost in one way or another. Through a financial crisis, a natural disaster, through death or harm done by others. So what do we want now? This question is a big one. I know, and I think it's worth tucking away and thinking about. Don't stop at the simple answers. Really imagine yourself standing with Jesus on a dusty road, and he's just asked you, what do you want? I've been reading through the Sermon on the Mount this year and enjoying all the commentary and resources provided by our friends at the Bible Project. Just this week, I've been meditating on his this beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied, or in some versions, filled. And isn't that what drives our wants, the desire to be satisfied? We tell ourselves that if we just get the thing, the relationship, the experience that we really want, then we'll be happy, then we'll be satisfied. But Jesus is telling us something different. If what we want is to be satisfied, then what we need to hunger for is righteousness. Righteousness is right relationship with God, with others. Righteousness is dependent on community. Go back to our passage. Jesus drew the two into his day, into community, and they in turn brought others in. They couldn't wait to bring folks to Jesus. What does that look like today? How do we bring folks to Jesus? Where exactly are we bringing them? So we don't know much about the home where Jesus lived, or even if he had one when he was here on earth, but we do know something about where he lives now. There are a few different ways people answer that. We could say he lives in heaven, or in our hearts, or everywhere. But one place we know for sure he lives is in his church. He takes his spirit, puts it in the church, and calls it his body. So an answer, where is Jesus staying? He's right here with us. Which brings us to the second question in the passage from the two. They want to know where to find Jesus. For us, 2,000 years later, we find Jesus in the stories of the Bible. We certainly learn a lot about who he was and what he did there, but like the disciples in our story, to go where Jesus is staying is to go in community. And when we live in community, we see Jesus in each other and get to see where he is staying. The Holy Spirit is working in us, all around us. Sometimes we see it firsthand, and sometimes we see it in other people's lives. And when we share what is happening in our lives, we are bringing people to Jesus, just like the disciples did in the story. And when we keep it to ourselves, we deprive our community. Can you even imagine the two in our scripture passage, meeting Jesus, spending the day with him, and then telling no one about it? That sounds ridiculous, right? So let's internalize that. When was the last time you felt the presence of the Holy Spirit? I know there's a small group here who call these moments God winks. Did you let others in to see Jesus in your day, or did you bury it so that only you knew about it? I pray weekly with a group of women who I call the saints, as in the communion of the saints. We started meeting on Zoom during COVID and have just kept going for almost four years now. 
And more often than not, for me, on Thursday morning at 6.50 a.m., I think, maybe I'll just text everyone and cancel. But then I dutifully sign on, and there they all are, and there are the prayers and the psalms and the Holy Spirit working through us, each of us. And I'm brought to Jesus every week. We have so many amazing opportunities to connect as a community here at Antioch. I know that many of the men here attend one of the men's liturgies, many of the women in one of the women's Bible studies, and we have quite a few very active community groups. These groups help us see that Jesus really does change lives. And if you aren't part of some type of group where you are getting the chance to share in the work of the Holy Spirit, talk to Pastor Sean. He's fresh off his paternity leave and ready to help you start a group or join one that's already happening. You aren't meant to do this faith walk alone. Following Jesus is a team sport, and I encourage you to join a group and come and see how your faith is encouraged and challenged and strengthened. It can feel awkward sometimes to share our stories with others. Often in my my prayer group, someone will say, oh, I, I don't have anything important to share but it's a rule that everyone has to share something, and more often than not, that unimportant thought is just what one of us needs to hear. For me, I hope I never forget years ago when I first heard about the Enneagram, which is a personality test, I eagerly read all the things. I loved to learn and was so very skeptical about any test that was gonna tell me what number I was. I was intrigued, though, by the phrase that the Enneagram doesn't put you in a box, but it tells you what box you're in and how to get out of it. That got my attention. So as I read and learned and sat with it, I came to the conclusion that I was a five, the investigator, someone who loves to learn, which all sounds positive, right? Except when you get stuck in the learning and never move past it. The big weakness of fives is that they are greedy, kind of like they are hoarders. I at first thought this couldn't be me. I'm generous, I live simply. But on further reflection, I found that I was a hoarder. A hoarder of thoughts, of feelings, of suggestions. It was all inside me. And the conviction for me was, what am I doing with a life walking with Jesus and not sharing it with anyone? This couldn't be what I was called to. What about all my other fives out there holding back and letting folks in? Surely God is calling us to be open about the work he's doing in our lives. Come and see, folks. Come and see. The Holy Spirit is at work in my life, growing me into a new person. If we're going to see God's work in each other's lives, we have to be willing to share all the things, the good, the bad, the God winks, the struggles and doubts. God is in the mess, right? These are the places Jesus meets us in. These are the places where we grow and learn and get our wants realigned. If we keep these moments from each other, we are depriving our community of seeing God at work. So where's Jesus staying? Right here, in each of us, in our community. Which brings us back to that exciting invitation in our passage, come and see. We've all had come and see moments when we see a sunset or sunrise that's spectacular. We grab whoever's nearby and say, come and see. Or when we build something or create something, we look around for someone to show, right? We need someone to come and see. We crave that community interaction. 
Beautiful moments and creations are more meaningful when they are shared. The Jesus followers in our story show us that. Spending time with Jesus was one of those moments that made them call to others. Our gatherings here on Sunday are often those moments for us. We experience the presence of the Holy Spirit here in community, and it is so beautiful. We invite others to come and see. As Jesus invites the two to come and see, he invites them to come and walk with and linger with and have a conversation with. And anyone who's read the Gospels knows how this plays out. Those who come and see end up staying and soaking it all in. Their lives are forever changed. Not because they heard a story or learned a law, but because they came into contact with Jesus, the Holy Spirit-soaked human who radically turned their world upside down. I love this message. This question of what do we want, where do we experience Jesus, and this imperative to come and see as we begin the season of Lent. My challenge to us in the season of Lent is to come and see what Jesus is calling us to. Find someone with more years of faith than you and listen to their story. How has Jesus changed their wants and satisfied them? Come and see Jesus' teachings in the Gospels. Spend some time with the Sermon on the Mount. Make use of the Bible Project and all their videos and podcasts. They have an amazing range of resources to help us better understand Jesus' words. Come and see how spending time in the stories of others, spending time in the story of Jesus, will change you. During Lent, we typically give something up, eliminate something in our lives to create space to be more mindful of the season. So whatever you choose to create space over the next six weeks, will you use this time to come and see Jesus in a new way? Will you let go of how you think he should meet your needs, of how you think he should fix your problems, and entertain the idea that maybe what you really want is what Jesus actually offers, abundant life in him? Learning to really get this is a lifetime journey, and if you haven't started down this path, I invite you to. In this room is a whole community of folks in some stage of the journey. Find someone a little bit ahead of you, buy them a cup of coffee, take them for a walk, listen, come and see. It might feel a bit like stepping into the unknown, taking a closer look at your wants and desires more clearly, but this is a perfect season for that. We have six weeks where we are more than aware, more aware than usual of the things that so often crowd our days. Ask yourself, do the things I'm giving up really satisfy me? Are they pointing me toward community, toward right relationships with God and others? Or is the satisfaction they provide a false one, one that leaves me continually hungry? Our culture will tell us that whatever we give up for Lent, it is a deprivation and we should eagerly embrace this deprivation as soon as Lent is over. But I challenge you, it's possible our culture is lying to you. If you believe Jesus, then to be satisfied is to hunger for righteousness, not for the things that too often crowd our days, Maybe this season of taking a break from these things will help you to realize that they never really satisfied you anyways. They aren't what you want. Seek out the places where Jesus dwells. Come and see, and let yourself become like the two in our passage, inviting others to come and see the good that you have experienced.
In closing, I want to pray over you all the prayer that my Thursday morning group will be praying all through Lent. Receive this as an invitation to create space in your life to come and see what Jesus is calling you towards. That right relationship with God is the only thing that will truly satisfy you. Oh God, in this season of Lent, help us examine our attachments and to sense where you invite us to live more simply and deeply. Shine the light of your love into the private corners of our lives where we have acquired so much clutter that it has begun to restrict our freedom. Grant us the strength to free ourselves from appetites and needs that drive us into taking, having, and wanting more than we need or have time for. Teach us that in letting go, we become free rather than deprived, generous rather than covetous, and spacious rather than restricted. We offer you our Lenten observance. Today, we place our feet on the road to Easter and walk in the way that you have walked before us. Amen.